This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. Hello, I'm Kathy Worthington. Today on Late Boomers, we have as our guest, Lynn Bowman, author of Brownies for Breakfast, a cool, fun, and beautiful guidebook for anybody who wants to eat healthy. She has been featured on women's expos throughout the U.S. and teamed with Deidre Hall to publish Deidre Hall's Kitchen Close-Up. And I'm Mary Elkins. Lynn has been a creative director for Silicon Valley Companies, was creative director at Ian J. Gallo Winery, advertising manager at Redken, has also been an actress and screenwriter and TV weather person. And she has three grown children and two grandchildren. Welcome, Lynn. I'm so happy to be with you, ladies. And I think it's important to say that I was the worst weather person in the history of broadcasting. <laughs> So, you know, it, it makes a great resume item, but don't kid yourselves. I was really bad. Really, oh, ter- really oh, that's bad. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but we really have to ask you, how'd you get started on this multifaceted career that led, led to where you find yourself today? Well, because we're talking today about being old. Is that right? We're just going to put that well, on the table. And, and I, <laughs> I graduated from high school in 1964 at a time when I couldn't go to Harvard because it wasn't co-ed and I couldn't have a career because women didn't have careers. We had babies, we got married. We all wait, if you wanted to be a nurse, if you wanted to be a teacher, if you wanted to be a, a stewardess as they were known at the time, that was available to you. Well, none of that seemed right for me. Um, and so I, like many other women, was just plunged out there into the world to get jobs. That's what we did. We just got jobs. We didn't have a plan. I, did you girls have a plan? I didn't have a plan. I didn't yeah. even. It, it didn't I kind of had a plan because I wanted to act. So that was okay. That and was that open. Was a, that was that a was thing open. That, that was available to you if you wanted to put yourself through what you needed to put yourself through to act. And one of the things that I knew, I was born in Hollywood of all the silly places in the world to be born and, <laughs> yeah. so, and, and grew up, it's a company town. So, so when I became of a, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old, I already had people who were modeling and acting and working in the business. And so somebody would say, well, can you do makeup? Yeah, I can do makeup. You know, can you, I've got a little part for it. Yeah, I'll do it. Um, it was just part of our community in a way. Yeah. Uh-huh. That was what was available to do. So I did it badly in many cases, but I always said, sure. Okay. You know, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> because what else were we going to do? You know, well, there you, weren't a lot of options. But you navigated some big jobs too. I did. And I'll tell you a little bit about how a couple of those happened, because looking back on your life, it's always fun to go, oh, yeah, that was weird. (laughs) How did that even happen? And one of them was I had I had been to Europe. I thought I was going to be an illustrator. I, you know, was struggling to to get work in uh, France, found out just how impossible that is. Sold newspapers on the street, came back. I borrowed the money to come back. Um, and I, there was a job in the newspaper, help wanted men, you know, help wanted women. Remember that two oh. entirely different yeah. pages in the newspaper. And it was help wanted women publications person. I don't remember the title for ITT Canon Electric in LA. 
So I got hired for that because it meant you were willing to sit in the basement and make other people's stuff sound good, you know, and, and I wasn't afraid of engineering language. My dad was, everybody in my family was an engineer. So, um, <laughs> but I had just come back from Europe. I had just come back 1966, you'll get the picture. And I'd been in London. And so I was going to work in my little yellow mini dress of course. Yeah. Twiggy was, was on the front of all the magazines. Hello. And so <laughs> I had the eye makeup and everything. And so the vice president of the company had to come downstairs to publications and inform me that that wouldn't fly, that oh, I could not right. dress like that. So I hadn't been there very long. And, and someone came in and was visiting and said, hey, you know, Redken Laboratories is looking. You ought you to gotta go talk to them. A cosmetic company? hello right yeah. and and they were pioneering this kind of new hair product that was healthy and protein based and that so i wangled an interview and got hired was that and redken it was redken laboratories and they were in van nuys california still a small company privately held uh the president was a woman paula kent whom i adored um she's gone now unfortunately, but I took a job, was thrilled. Three weeks later, I walked in on a Monday morning and everyone but me in the advertising department had been fired. Ugh. And I was what, 21 and brand new, <laughs> but I did what I always advise young ones to do when they're starting out is I said, okay, yes, yes, <laughs> right? I'll, I'll do this. Um, okay, I'll hire some people. Do you know how? Yeah, I'll find, I'll, don't worry about it. It's okay. I'll figure that out. And so I scrabbled around and asked all the vendors to teach me everything I needed to know about, um, you know, the, what we were doing in those days, the, the reproduction art that we needed and the printing that we needed and all these things. And so I just, it was my grad school as a, mm -hmm. and, um, and of course, it was working with wonderful creative people and cosmetics. I mean, you know, I was, I, it was great. It was 24 seven. It was exhausting. Mm -hmm. But here's the funny part. Three years later, this whole thing was very successful. The company was growing like mad. It looked like it was going to go public before too long. All of a sudden, I got a notion that if I stayed there, I was going to wake up and be 45 years old and alone, a single woman, an old maid. <laughs> and was there one person who said, take a little leave of absence, Do, you know, go talk to Paul, so, you know, and, and then come back. No, I just took a notion and quit and left a job. I loved a company. I loved everything. But in that time, we were so indoctrinated with what our lives should look like. And at the time I was what, 24 or 25 or something, right? And didn't yeah. have any, any prospects that looked appropriate. And so off I went to Europe again and started off in a different direction. And, um, you know, and, and again, we, we didn't even have resumes, I don't think. Um, <laughs> It's true. How, you know, what year was it when you had your first resume? Of course, you guys had. I had it for acting. So I, you had to have it. Well, yeah, but yeah. I, we didn't think it was a resume. Right. Well, yeah, it was. Well, that's what my agent called it. But I think you had to show up with your, your resume stapled on the back of the headshot. Yeah. But for what you were doing, it was like either the family or the career, Right. Right. And, and so I, some, somewhere you found a husband, sounds like. <laughs> I <Yeah>. did. <laughs> Tell us. And of course, that's a whole other epic um, because I didn't know him probably as well as I should have. He was a tall, good looking guy in a three piece suit, talked fast, seemed to have a nice family. And I really wanted to start that family. He did too, said he did. And so, uh, and I was surprised to find myself the mother of a son before too very long. And then along came number two quickly after that. And by the time I was pregnant with number three, um, my husband at the time, 
who had been a Marine, and this is starting to sound like a very familiar story. Um, and he had been in the jungle in Vietnam. He was a forward observer. He came back on the plane, changed his clothes and didn't look back and went back to his civilian life and proceeded to just unravel. Mm. He became violent and he was addicted. And I, like many naive young wives at the time, had no idea what was happening. He would disappear for days at a time. And then there were DUIs and then he was behind bars. And so PTSD. to skip some yeah. stuff, I found myself alone out on a farm in North Carolina with three kids under the age of four at the time. Oh. And um, all I had was a skill set. And so I sold it. I got work. Um, I hired someone to help me with the kids in the house. And, um, and I continued doing my advertising. for. Wow. How how did uh, Gallo and the Silicon Valley uh, jobs happen? Well, I'm skipping the part where I had to get on a train with my three kids when they were two, three, and four and run like hell. Um, and oh. my my ex was literally homicidal and stalked me. And, oh. you know, this is this is a story that at the time I didn't understand. I would be hearing over and over again from other women uh, it's become a sort of old saw at this point. But um, so I ran like hell. My sister said, just come. And I lived in her driveway in a camper with my three kids um, and sort of lied my way into freelance work in the Silicon Valley. That's where I landed in my sister's driveway. And I would tell people that I was looking for an agency for her company. And at the time, 1980, the Valley was just going crazy. The personal computer was brand new. Macs were brand new. And I had this background in technology. I wasn't afraid to write, you know, about engineering. And so I managed to worm my way into freelance work and then was offered full time. And I had no idea how much money they were paying or I would have uh, come there sooner probably, but (laughs) Yeah. One thing led to another. I was able to keep myself and my children alive. We, my ex stalked us and threatened and so on. And there were more arrests and jail time and all those things, um, me running and hiding. Um, ultimately, I mean, the, the, the job with Gallo came um, after I had been with an agency in uh, Silicon Valley and I decided I needed to change my my venue. And so I took the job with Gallo, which was very interesting. One of the worst jobs I ever had. (laughs) Well, but again, wine. Okay. It's gotta be okay. Right. (laughs) I did a TV commercial for them a long time ago. So this was in the height of Bartles and James. uh, So you remember Bartles and James, Frank, Ed, whatever their names were. Yeah. Well, you seem to be someone who says yes to all the opportunities. So what would you say is the most surprising advice you have to offer besides that? Besides that? Oh, boy. Or maybe that is it. Maybe that is it. I think basically that's it. You know, you can always change your mind later, but if you don't say yes, you don't go. And if you don't go, you don't know. Uh, and, And I'm a big believer in failure. Uh, you know, the, the more you do it, the better you get at it and the better you walk away from it. And I think women particularly are often, okay. And here's my other sort of ace in the hole. You guys, my mom had died when I was 18. Oh. And so, and my whole life then was gone. My home, my family, my older siblings were gone. My dad was gone. My dog had to be given away. Um, everything was gone. So at the age of 18, I became feral. You know, I, I had nobody telling me what to do or not to do, which, and I alluded a little while ago, I didn't have any good advice either, but I think so many women have histories that are more on the side of being managed and, um, overwhelmed with advice, good and bad. And, 
told how they need to live and told who to marry and told who not to marry. So I had none of that. So I was on my own, just finding my own way. And at one point, I think I was about 35, I had to realize that as bitter as I was in many ways about losing my mother, I had to thank her for leaving me my freedom. I was free in a way that so many women, particularly, are not ever. And yeah, so, so that, that enabled you to rise above the things you'd been indoctrinated to believe and just yeah. go out on your own. And yeah. you, you call yourself, I love this in your bio, the snarky grandma. So how did you come up with that moniker? What's what's that? What's that? I think, I think maybe somebody else gave me that name. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I and I think I should call my my way of eating the snarky grandma diet. What do you think? Is that oh, a, that's good. That's that good. good. Well, um, yeah, we need to talk about that soon. We do. The book and the yeah. way you eat and all that. Yeah. So, yeah. I just, you know, snarky, you know, some of us kind of are just gifted that way. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Well, tell us something. Um, You, you, you talk about age. I mean, what motivates you to continue this quest you're on? That's a really good question. I think a lot of it is vanity. I think (laughs) That many of us, we don't want to give up. You know, we don't want to be relegated to the sidelines. We, we don't want to stop having a reason to dress well sometimes. You know, we especially, and you ladies know this, if, if you've been in front of the camera or even behind the camera, which was more of my career, but um, if, if you've ever been out in public a lot or speaking and so on, the whole idea of putting yourself together for the fight, you know, putting yourself together to be out there doing what we're doing, that that's a big part of who we are. It's a big part I know of who I am. And it's so fun now uh, working with young women uh, who have never dressed, you know, because their lives have not been about the, the same kind of social structure that we grew up in where there was a correct way to dress for this and a correct way to dress for that and and a correct way to appear here and there. And the kids have so little of that now Uh that I find it fun to work with them and talk about how to sit, how to walk. You want to wear a hat? Let me show you how to wear a hat kind of thing. And and they're they're tickled about it. And, And my point of view there is you don't have to do it all the time, but you need to know how if the time arises and you want to. Uh, it's it's good to be able to put the armor on, to wear the suit and go out and feel like you're prepared um, for whatever is going to hit you in the face. <laughs> so, so so many women suffer. And I get the questions all the time. How, where does your confidence come from? You know, how do you become confident? Um, we we don't tend to teach our daughters confidence. And. Uh, so in my case, you already know this, I, I was feral. So you know, <laughs> I, I made myself confident because I wouldn't survive if I didn't. I, I had to be. Uh, and I had no one telling me no other than the world. You know, mm-hmm. I, had, I had no, no parents saying, don't do that. Don't do mm-hmm. this. You can't do this. Or no one telling you you couldn't do it. Exactly. Exactly. So I just did. Um, and you've touched on this quite a bit, but have you ever been homeless? Oh, yes. 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 Um, I, I think maybe living in a camping trailer with a canvas top and a driveway qualifies as being homeless with three children. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, I think that qualifies for being homeless. Yeah. And in a very tight space. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But we were alive and, uh, and we remain so. And, and that's also given me kind of a lifelong passion for working in affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have this little unprecedented foundation in Pescadero and we've been working for years and years and years to try and get some housing, decent housing built. Um, and out here, it kind of the movement kind of began with farm workers 
But now mm-hmm. no one can afford a home. No mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Except yeah. the very wealthy. That's um, true. That's true. Yeah, that's that's Los Angeles too. It's yeah, definitely Los Angeles. Especially Los Angeles. We have a terrible problem and of course, San with homelessness. Yeah. And a yeah. lot of people are vets too, or women with children. Oh, you bet. Yeah, the homeless people are not always who you think they are. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, there's the underhoused and the you know lesser housed and the. Do you I, have a solution? Um, I don't. I do have some ideas, and we do have evidence. You know, I've been at this sort of urban planning thing for a long time, studying and doing everything we could do, and the fact of the matter is that we are all going to be living on wheels. We're going to be living in smaller quarters. We are not going to be buying properties the way it was always assumed one. That was how we housed ourselves was to buy land and do a stick built something on it or buy a home that was bricks and mortar. And that's no longer sustainable uh, for a number of reasons. You know, we have the climate change issue that we're trying to deal with Uh places like San Francisco are going to lose acreage soon uh-huh. from sea level rise and in San Mateo yeah. County, we will be losing acreage soon from sea level rise. Yeah. And it has become so moribund in terms of the regulatory climate that you can't, I was, I was recently quoted a million dollars a unit for affordable homes. Yeah. Let that sink in. I've heard that too here in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. Because our land is so crazy expensive. Building has now gone through the roof. There's no one to do the work. Materials have doubled and tripled in price. But what's happened, and I don't know if, if you girls are seeing this on a daily basis, but out here in the country, you can see it. On my way between here and my little village, I now pass probably six or eight trailers, beautiful, comfortable, but they are homes on wheels that have been parked at mom and dad's house or a friend's house or a rented lot or something instead of a stick built home being built or rented, whatever, we are now living on wheels. Yeah. The good news is it's comfortable. These are beautiful units. You know, I don't know if you spent any time in a big old trailer, but but they can be really nice. It's a good. Oh yeah, I used to have a motorhome. I loved it. There you go. And and our kids, the ones that are now you know eighteen to forty, they don't have the same expectation to a great extent of the you know two story three and two. They don't have kids. They don't want kids. Many of them. A few do, um, but their view of themselves and their lives, I think they're much more attached to freedom, more attached to having time, more attached to their creativity and being able to move around. Um, they are not attached as I was. I won't include you girls. Maybe you weren't, but I was attached to having a home, you know, a real home. Oh, yeah. With a picket fence. Yes. With, a, with a garden and and all that. Chickens and horses and all that. Yeah. And I do. I now have actually Barbie Dream Farm. That's where I live. And and I love it. <laughs> I'm happy with it. We want to hear all about that. But I have a question for you getting back to your book and okay. your relationship with food and, and diet. Do you keep a journal or count calories? I mean, what do you do? Because I do what I recommend to everyone, which is eat real food, whole food, mostly plant-based. That's it. No sugar. That's hard. No, it's not. It's right in the book. Kathy, you read it. It's right there. This book, by the way, for our listeners, if you missed it in the intro, is called Brownies for Breakfast. It's an outstanding book. It, I love how you list all the sugar substitutes 
that are available, which many I didn't know about because I can't stand the taste of stevia and I won't use it. Nobody, nobody can stand. Well, I know people that love it, but I can't stand it. That's only because they they don't know a better way, I think. But I love your list of uh, sugar substitutes and I am going to get into those. Thank you. And, and a big part of my mission is if I, if I did nothing else but convince a few people to get off sugar, you will live longer, you'll live better, you, everything in your life will improve, your sleep, your digestion, everything, if you will just stop eating sugar. Another big one, huge one, which is more recent, there's so much science that's come out in the last three, four years, particularly, about timing your eating Mm. so that you are finished at least three or four hours before you sleep. Mm -hmm. So, so, and it's called intermittent fasting or it's called, you know, time-based meal planning Mm -hmm. and all these different things. But the whole idea is we were not meant to eat all day, every day. Mm -hmm. There's, There's no way, especially people of a certain age, you don't, you need a couple of meals a day, maybe, or one. And make it good, make it wonderful, make it the best food you can produce for yourself. Make it nutrient dense, make it exactly what you want without sugar. And and I highly recommend no dairy uh, to people. That will also improve your life greatly with an exception, feta cheese, sheep's milk cheese, goat milk stuff. And if you have a cow who is your friend, whose name you know, go ahead and use her milk. But other than that, but no factory farmed milk because it's just, and I'm not the only one out there ranting about this. What so about yogurt or cottage cheese? Cottage cheese, no. Yogurt is fermented. And if it comes from a good source, I think it's, it's an okay thing to, to have a little bit of. But for the most part, just stop basing your meals and snacks on dairy and meat and sugar. Uh-huh. And why, I, why do you think most people eat badly? Well, it's, it's, again, it's, it's absolutely documented. We've been told for 60, 70 years now by big food that we should be eating processed grains and sugar and that milk does body good, and that Wheaties are the breakfast of champions, and <laughs> so on and so forth. And it's all BS. It's a big fat lie that has made a lot of money for people. And there are buildings in Santa Monica and, and in uh, New Jersey and both coasts full of people, not so many in Santa Monica, but a lot in New Jersey, full of people who are engineering food for craveability. So yeah. you can't stop eating. And so, and, and we are driving through and we're eating in restaurants and you, and I know I sound a bit crazy about this, but you cannot be really healthy if you are eating in restaurants and driving through with any regularity at all. Mm-hmm. You just can't. What's your advice to people who might not be able to afford whole food? Because a lot of people who are poverty-based, don't have the ability to buy that kind of food. What's your advice to them? I've been poor too. And my book is actually the result of having all my adult life had to cook the thriftiest way possible because I was feeding, I was the single mother, sole source of income for three children. And, and plus, I'm just by nature very, shall we say, frugal. If, if we're being kind, we will call me frugal. <laughs> so don't tell me that you cannot eat beautifully very reasonably. And if, if you actually put your drive through meals and your snack meals in front of me and, and we, we put the receipts out there, I guarantee you that it will cost you less to eat really, really well. That's a great point. If you know how. Not only that, but you no longer have to buy Prevacid. You no longer have to pay for all uh-huh. those acids and things that you are now buying. You will not need medications of most kinds. I mean, there are exceptions to it, but 85% of the chronic diseases that we have in this country are preventable, 
reversible, and they are a result of you eating crap. And talk a little bit about how you got started on this particular road, because it's the intro in your book, why you are so committed to this. I, I was diagnosed, and this is what you're referring to, mm-hmm. Kathy, I was diagnosed in my early 40s as a type 2 diabetic. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to stay on my, I've got these kids and I've got to work. And so I have to take care of myself. And as I've already said, my mom had died young um, from a chronic disease. And so I had a very up close and personal understanding of what a chronic disease could do to a family financially and physically. And I wasn't going to do that. I just was determined not to do that. But the medical community, their answer was, well, lose some weight. Yeah, you're not really overweight, but you know, lose some weight and, and don't eat too many carbs and don't eat sugar. That was it. That was the advice that you got from the medical community. And as we now talk about so much more, allopathic doctors, Western doctors have no training in nutrition. They don't talk about food, not at all. They are in the prescription business. Yeah. So, uh, and I was not at a stage with my diabetes where I needed a prescription. So it's like, okay, just take care of yourself. Bye-bye now. And so I went out and read everything I could find and got the book. So I've written now the book that I really wish someone had handed to me and written for me. Mm -hmm. And that is not all about the cells and everything, but here, here's what you do. And I'm happy to say that at the age of 76, I am now technically not diabetic anymore. I will always have to treat myself as a diabetic because if I fall off the wagon, my numbers will get bad again and, and I will be a diabetic again. But doing what I suggest strongly in the book to do, I've brought my hemoglobin A1C, which as you both know is the blood test that indicates what you've been over the past three months, I think it is. It's your blood glucose level over a period of time. So it's a good, reliable measure of where you really are in all this. And mine is now out of diabetic territory. Mm-hmm. So, Just from eating and exercising, right? Yes, and sleeping, which is a thing sleeping. we need to talk about. Yeah, sleeping. And I was always told that diabetes is just, it's a progressive disease. It's a progressive disease. And so the expectation is by the time you're as old as dirt as I am, happily. Uh, <laughs> well, for our listeners, uh, we're on Zoom and Lynn looks great. <laughs> she, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I, have, I made up on today for you. Well, that's good, but <laughs> yeah. you're beautiful. <laughs> yes, we are beautiful. But the whole idea is when you are old as dirt, you should do that. <laughs> Claim it, own it, right? And I love dirt. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> yeah, you're a gardener. But, yeah. Okay. Well, do yeah. you, I mean, are you a total vegetarian or do you eat no. any meat at all? Yes, but um, I don't eat much meat at all. And I've gone long periods where I ate none. What I do, I eat some fish, fresh, ocean caught, real fish. Um, I don't eat factory farmed fish either. And, and because I live where I do, I literally know the farmers who are raising the animals on grass, grass fed beef. So, um, every once in a while I will have a little flat iron steak, for example, from one of my local farms that is strictly grass fed. I, I drive by the cattle. Every time I go anywhere, oh. I, they're adorable. I could, they I could are. clean them. And, and I know the, the people who are raising these animals. And the only bad day they have is their last one. Uh-huh. Um, which uh, I, I know that that's important to a lot of people. It's important to me too. And I still am kind of, I don't know. I, I definitely have friends that are strictly vegan. I wrote the book, by the way, so that if you are strictly vegan, it's all in there. If you're vegetarian, you're good. If you want to add a little meat, that's, I tell you how to do that. But the point is to eat real food, whole food, mostly plants. Just as I said before, it's, it's really very simple. I don't count calories. 
I don't, you know, measure how many grams of um, stuff, <laughs> whatever it is. I don't want to live that way. And I love that a lot of the recipes allow bread, you know, real good, good, healthy bread. If it is good bread. Yeah. And locally here, we can get bread that is made from heritage wheat. Mm, and that's good. a totally, totally different beast than the Wonder Bread that we grew up Yeah, with. that's like what you can get in Europe sometimes. What about organic rice? I don't, I don't eat rice at all except I will eat brown rice pasta because I just love it. That's a treat for me. But if you're diabetic, you know that rice is way up high on the glycemic index. Yeah. Potatoes are up there too. Um, any wheat product is up there. Not all grains, but rice is kind of a no-no. Um, uh -huh. It, there's there's something called forbidden rice or the emperor's rice, a black rice that that is delicious and it has a much lower glycemic index. And but like anything in our lives, knowing which ones are which, if you choose to cheat, honey, I am right there with you. But I want you to cheat on something worth cheating on. I want you to have the best. I want you to really love what you're eating. So, it, but where most people make mistakes, I think, is your daily habit. It's what you're doing all the time. It's not when you go out and are treated to some forbidden rice, you know, with a curry sauce with a, you know, no, you're eating Doritos in front of Jimmy Kimmel at night or pizza. Uh -huh. <laughs> do you yeah. miss sugar or do you miss pork chops or any of the other foods you gave up? I really don't. And the answer there, Kathy, is that your, your chemistry changes. Literally, uh -huh. mm. three weeks after you have quit sugar completely, your saliva has changed. Things taste different to you. You are chemically different than you were previously. And, and I think it surprises people in a way, but yeah, you don't want it anymore. If you are able to really satisfy yourself with the way you're eating now, which is why I wrote the book. I want you to have brownies and pancakes and lemon pie and all those delicious things that you wake up in the middle of the night and think, oh boy, I really want some strawberry shortcake. Good. You can have it. Just make it the way I tell you to uh -huh. do it in the book. And it's delicious. And then you can't go back because it, it you know, your, your tummy hurts at the thought of eating maybe the way you used to eat the real actual whipped cream or the cool whip or the, you know, the squishy whipped cream out of the thing. The, uh -huh. the <laughs> yeah. I know I have done that. I have given up sugar and I used to always tell people like three or four weeks, you don't miss it at all, no. but, but I've unfortunately gone back to it. Yeah. And once, you, once you're back on it, then it's really, really hard to get off it again. It it's, is. it's almost worse when you go back to it. Yeah, but it's so important to do. Yeah. Uh, and not necessarily for your weight. I mean, yeah, you will yeah. probably lose some weight, but it's all these other things that are happening in your body, inflammation, yeah. arthritis. I mean, there's a list a mile long of things that will improve if you if you quit sugar. It's yeah. Do. And exercise, right? Absolutely. And this is one I'm sure you will relate to as well. For me, my little studio, which is just a couple miles up the road and trainer, it's my social life, you know, uh -huh. especially through COVID. Um, she's been very meticulous and careful about it, but these are my friends and I get to see them two or three times a week at workout. And it's a workout that's appropriate for us. Um, some of the women, meaning older people, uh, let's be honest. They're almost all younger than me. Yeah, okay. I bet. Oh, okay. I bet. Um, but there's there's a, one or two of the women that are my age or a little bit older. And you have to have a trainer who is sufficiently well-trained to understand what your limitations might be and you know how not to get hurt. But we do Pilates, we do TRX, we lift weights, you know, we we do all kinds of good fun things. And um, and then suddenly the hour is done and you have to leave and say bye-bye 
And of course, walking, you know, everyone, we need to walk all the time. Um, yeah. I mean, I walk at least three miles a day. Good. That's great. It's the best exercise. Absolutely the best. And you're and outside. It's and beautiful. you're outside. Um, now around here, it can be tricky. You need to be a little careful because we have mountain lions. Uh-huh. So, uh, and I mean, when we, when I say we have them, we have them on our place. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like right, yeah. right there. <laughs> right here. Right oh. here. And we love them, but you don't want to like come face to face. No. Um, when you're out jogging, running by yourself at no, night. <laughs> never jogging because they love, then you're, you're the prey. Yeah. But I, I, want, I have to ask you this fun question. What would surprise me if I saw it in your home? Oh, um, I'll think of one thing really quick. It, I have a little guest house and I love to have friends come and stay. You girls both invited, please. Oh, please. thank you. And when you walk in, you will notice that there is a very real bear skin, Ooh. including yeah. the head. You mean um, a big, tall? No, she's a rug, but she's draped oh. over a thing but oh. with the head. I mean, an old time oh, wow. bear rug. Oh, oh, oh. But my father-in-law was a hunter. And um, so we inherited a, a rather large collection of furs. And it's, mm. illegal, it's illegal to sell them or, I mean, you, what do you do, right? You're kind of stuck with them, huh? So you're making, so the thought, be- making the best of it, huh? I think we'll just <laughs> honor her. You know, we will just decorate with her. Well, one of the things I loved in the book is when you show the pictures of your house, you're talking about all the things that are all repurposed because you've yes. got your lamps from your friend and your tablecloth. So it sheds wine and water and and food and you don't have to wash it all these clever things you've got in your home and well, I think i've already it, told you how cheap i am kathy yeah <laughs> so, but um, creative well and and it's what we do what we learn to do right when that's all we've got and to me it's so much more fun to make something out of whatever you have um, and that goes for food open up your fridge what do you got well, pull it out. Let's make something out of it. You know, if, if you're tromping down to the grocery store every time you get a notion to cook something, you're defeating the purpose completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vegetables so, and fruit. Yeah. And but, I love your advice to take food with you always, always so that you're not driving through something. Yes. Have it with you and eat it before you go to a, a big meeting or something like that. So you're yeah. not eating the donuts that they've got there, right? Or even wanting them. Never be caught hungry if you can help it. And and then too, lately, uh, I'm a little more inclined to say, make friends with hunger. Don't be so afraid of hunger. We were told that as diabetics, you need to eat all the time. You need to eat small meals, yeah. all day, not let yourself get too hungry. Not true. One of the most important things that we all can do for our health and particularly diabetics is to teach yourself how to be healthy hungry, which means stop eating at a certain time. You know, in my case, it's usually three or four in the afternoon, nothing after that. And so I go to bed, maybe a little hungry, but I've taught myself that that's okay. That's good. It's good. That's normal. It's fine. Whereas I know a lot of people who have a, a kind of a, a nervous reaction to being hungry. Uh-huh. There, there, there's some fear there. There's issues about having been hungry maybe at times, and, and that was frightening. So sometimes it's a little retraining that we need to learn that a little bit of hunger, maybe horrible hunger, I'm not talking about, but having an empty stomach is actually curative. It, the, the process called autophagy, which you've probably read about, know about, is the process where your cells clean themselves. They actually eat up all the little bits and pieces of all the kind of used up stuff in your system. And that can't happen until you've not eaten for 16, 18 hours. Uh-huh. So we are designed 
for this self-cleansing. It's actually, it means self-eating. It's kind of grody, but it, I think of this <laughs> cleansing. We're designed for not eating. We're designed to go without food quite successfully and happily. And when you think about paleo and keto and all this stuff, the human beings never ate all the time. They went days without eating. Yeah. You know, they, they maybe had one meal or two meals a day, but uh-huh. grandma was out foraging for stuff. Right. And the guys maybe were out looking to take something down, but you didn't sit down and eat three times a day or four times a day or have snacks. That's a very modern concept. And that's led to what's wrong with us health wise. Mm-hmm. To a great extent, this combination of thinking we should be eating a lot all the time and being fed this stuff from the boys in the buildings in uh, New Jersey uh, and the advertising agencies, the combination has been literally lethal. It's mm-hmm. absolutely lethal. Yeah. Let's talk a little about your book um, and tell us about the process of writing it. Brownies for Breakfast is the title. And also talk about the photos. Thank you for asking, Mary, because I thought it was important that I took the pictures with my stupid little iPhone. There were no stylus. There was no oil being painted on things. You know, and I've done all that in my business. I knew what we put a chicken through to make it look appetizing and it wasn't pretty. Yeah. Um, but in, in this book, I wanted all the food to be styled. If you just the way it would come out of your oven, just the way it would come out of your refrigerator, whatever, nothing fancy. It's ordinary food made by an ordinary person. I'm not a chef. You know, I'm, I'm not an MD, I'm a grandma. And I wanted it to be accessible to an eight-year-old or an 85-year-old, anyone who is seeking health and wanting to eat well, you can do this. It's easy. It's forgiving. So yes, I took the pictures myself and I hope you will take pictures when you make the recipes and send them to me because I, that, that makes me feel like my life has had meaning when people actually make the brownies and send me a picture and they say, yay, they were great. Everybody loved them. And I took them to a We're going to tell our listeners about that and have them all send photos to you. That yeah, and, and, and before you, uh, before you order the book, go on Lynn's website because it's lynnbowman.com because the pictures on there were what's made me want the book. Like I, nobody can see this because we're only on audio, but the audio, avocado toast page is my favorite. And who doesn't love avocado toast? Yeah, I, I, ju- love I just it. love how you styled the photo in the corner with the leaves and the, you know, it's just gorgeous. Thank you. And Kathy, I I will confess that um, typically I will make something and go, oh, dang, I need a picture (laughs) because I love making my food pretty. But it tends to be kind of an afterthought. um, And and half the time I don't get the picture, but I love hearing that you like that one because that's the way I eat. And that's the way I want you to eat. And all you do is put some leaves on there and sprinkle some stuff on it. And it's easy. You can do Mm -hmm. it. Uh, Why don't you uh, give us an example of one of your favorite recipes or or your favorite meal? One or the other, it doesn't matter. Oh, golly. Well, um, they're all in there. Literally, this is the way I eat. This is the stuff I eat all the time. And I I just had a few minutes ago leftovers from yesterday. My husband brought home a beautiful piece of salmon from our local market that was um, ocean caught salmon. And there's a recipe in the book called simple salmon. So many people are a little afraid. I mean, salmon's not cheap. It's on the expensive side. And so you don't want to wreck it, you know? And so how do you cook it? I tell you exactly how you do it. And you wrap it in aluminum foil and it has some lemon zest on it and some um, soy sauce. And I, I put a little smoky salt on mine to squeeze a lemon and you wrap it in aluminum foil and you cook it in a hot oven for 10 minutes. That's Very all. Short but, amount. But of time. super hot, like 400. 
450. Right. And 50. of course, we don't all know exactly where our ovens are. Right. So what you do is you open the oven up and you listen. And when it's bubbling, when it's making noise, you pull it out. Oh. Uh -huh. Yeah. And because you want to just barely cook salmon. You don't want to overcook it. And yeah. then it's, it's wrapped so the whole house doesn't stink up and you don't have a mess to clean up. So easy, so good. And it looks nice with the little lemon zest on top of it. And then I put mine on a bed of the cauliflower mash recipe that's in the book, cauliflower soup. Um, and you can just make it the thickness that you want. So if you want it like mashed potatoes, you put less liquid. If you want it more like soup or sauce, you put a little more liquid. And so I put that on the plate with salmon and we're, we serve that to company all the time and they always love it. Um, and I'm could, getting so hungry. It's so good. <laughs> and, it, and it reheats beautifully. And today when I reheated it, I put a little bit of the red pepper soup, which is also in the book, which is just a standby. I can eat it every day. Men seem to really love it. It's a beautiful color. When you say soup, most people are not excited about soup, um, but it is a thing. It's so helpful. It's so inexpensive. It's so beautiful to look at. The difference between the way we eat and the way French and Italians eat is soup. Americans mm -hmm. don't eat soup. And I want you to eat soup. So I had some red pepper soup on top of the salmon and I put it on the bed of, of um, cauliflower soup. And then I put just a little drizzle of ahi sauce, which is my new passion. It's Peruvian. I actually went down to Santa Cruz and met chef um, Leonardo R from Peru and he showed me how he made it. I took pictures. I haven't posted anything. I will post this for those who sign up on my list on my website and I will send you information like this, stories like this. And ahi sauce is a, a characteristically Peruvian sauce made from red and yellow peppers that are grown in Peru. They're like our red peppers and yet, but they're, they're a little hotter maybe. And, um, and it's, it has a little bit of potato in it to make the base. It's vegan. It is uh, gluten-free. It's sugar-free. And if, if you are diabetic and you are a label reader, and I also talk in the book about reading labels, how to read a label, you, you know that there is hardly a sauce on the market of any kind that doesn't have sugar in it. They yeah. all have sugar. <laughs> well, Chef Leo's uh, ahi sauce has no sugar. So I drizzle a little of that on top of it. That's what I ate for lunch. Fabulous. So wonderful. And it's all vegetables and salmon. Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds so sounds good. Sounds like my perfect meal. Yeah. It does. It's rich and yummy. And, um, and so I, and it's so simple, you know, you make it in the soup in a blender and it stays in the fridge beautifully. It reheats beautifully. Oh, I got such a kick out of your soup recipes because every single one of them says, be careful. Don't yeah. get hot soup all over you when you turn on the blender. Keep okay. your hand on the top. <laughs> you said that in every recipe. Well, oh, and Kathy, funny. you know, I've already confessed that I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, right? I, I know how uh -huh. to fail. And uh, <laughs> I have had soup on my face and out there. That hurts. Better than that egg. Hurts. It hurts. Yeah. So. It hurts. Yeah. Um, your bio says you live on a small farm. I do you grow your own food? We do. We grow. I have three beautiful raised beds. Did I not put pictures of those in the book? Uh, I don't maybe, maybe think I didn't. so. Okay. I don't well, think so. Not unless they're up. right at the back. I'm not all the way to the back. Sign up on my list and I promise I will send out pictures of my raised beds because they're beautiful. And um, they're right in front of my house. And that's a very practical thing because the gophers can't get to them. And, and I can, and I fence the deer out of my front yard so that I can grow. And it's actually my husband who loves growing his vegetables and I'm supportive. I help. And then I cook. Uh -huh. them. But we have beautiful beds full of collard greens, which if you didn't know this, collards are a spectacular vegetable. They are so gorgeous. I use them in arrangements all the time in my house with flowers. They're just beautiful. And they, I love collard that's greens. That's a great because idea. My mom was from North Carolina. There so you go. We always had collard greens on New Year's Day. 
And That's the start people, of the year. You yeah, always have collard think greens. Think of them, you know, as a soup thing or whatever. Collards make great pesto. They, you know, they're, they're just a beautiful. They sweet. taste a lot better than kale. They are sweeter, much sweeter than kale, but they are a dark green. So they're nutrient dense. They're really good for you. So we have a lot of collards. We have kale because kale looks spectacular in your garden, by the way. So um, we have a lot of that and um, several different kinds of lettuce and the tomatoes are almost ripe. The only tomatoes that we can grow here are the small, like the sun gold and the sweet 100s. The baby tomatoes. Baby tomatoes. Those are the best anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so we can't wait for those to ripen up. We have squash. We have peppers. You know, we, we try and grow as many things as we can. Uh, and, and we're bad farmers. We're, not, we're learning, you know. <laughs> uh, but um, That's great. It's fun. And were, and were you able to pass on some of these health tips and gardening tips, et cetera, to your children and grandchildren? Oh, yes. My um, my youngest is the medical I mentioned. She's a nurse practitioner. Uh, so she's all about it. She's thrilled to, to be growing her first orchard, her little mini uh, orchard with fruit trees in Reno, Nevada, which is a trick. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then middle child is actually um, a landscape architect. Mm. Huh. And so she's the one who designed my raised beds. Oh, and nice. I know. Send her down here. Well, <laughs> I have a raised bed, but it's so small because I have such a small lot. So I just have some, you can grow I, have, a lot. I have six tomato plants right now and one jalapeno and one cucumber plant. Well, that I just that. put in this spring. They're all making tomatoes like mad. Good. So that's good. You can good. really grow a lot in a small amount of space. You can grow a lot. Yeah. We also, on our hillside, we have fava beans in season, which. Oh, um, I love I, them. Yeah. a little Chianti. <laughs> well, there's that. Um, and, <laughs> and I talk because that's what people always say when you say fava beans. <laughs> yeah, because it's Silence of the Lambs. Right. But, yeah. but they are the most. <laughs> Did you know that they're the oldest um, food or one of the very oldest foods that was cultivated by human beings? Oh. Uh, and they are spectacularly healthy to eat. <clears throat> they cook in five minutes. Oh, so, so not, do you have to soak them overnight first? You don't? Oh, mm -hmm. I want some of those. Kathy, you need to sign up on my list and okay, I will. I will. I'm, I'm signing up. Okay. Oh, because I will. The, and they, they are so good. Little butter-like substance and garlic, a little lemon and oh my gosh. Oh, gee. We can talk to you all day, but I think we need to we wind do. up. We no, do. No. Uh, we do. I could talk to you more and I can't wait to get your book, Lynn. Okay. So, why don't you come here and stay in the tiny house and then we'll okay. sit at the kitchen table and we will talk food. Oh, okay. Fabulous. A trip to plan. Our guest today on Late Boomers has been Lynn Bowman, author of Brownies for Breakfast, a new cookbook with tips for taking control of your relationship with food and your health. You can find Lynn on lynnbowman.com. That's B-O-W-M-A-N with an E at the end of Lynn. And you can order her book there on or on Amazon. Thank you so much, Lynn. I can't wait to sign up and get your book. Thank you. And we want to request that you follow us on Instagram at Late Boomers and at I am Kathy Worthington and at I am Mary Elkins and that you keep in touch with us on our latebooms.biz B-I-Z website. Thanks again, Lynn. Thank you. for joining us on Late Boomers, the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style, power, and impact. Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here 
and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.